Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special Halloween edition of the show. If you're new here, hi, so am I. My name is Sean, and as a forewarning, I most assuredly am drunk. Yes, I'm inebriated, like a stumble-bum zombie. Hold up, just give me a minute to explain. You see, this is not your typical episode where you discuss a haunted location and the atrocities and the ghouls that haunt the place while following the most diabolical thing known in human existence, that goddamn laundry. No. This one is a tad different, with my own spin and script, so I can promise that if I stumble on my words this time, it won't be due to the fact that I have no idea how to pronounce a name or by using a word that I have no idea how to say. Hey. <laughs> it will be due to the golden liquid courage that sits in my frosted mug besides me. Let me welcome you officially to the subcast. Beer, Beasts, and Battleships. It's catchy, right? Alright, ladies and gentlemen. Go grab yourself a glass of your favorite liquor, beer, or wine. Or if drinking isn't your thing. A cold beverage, a comfy blanket, possibly a snack or three. And if I don't say it, the wife just might kill me. Switch the laundry. And join me on this tale of a historic brewery that is known across the country for its blue ribbon. Are we talking about PBR? Hmm. That's right. We're going to have a talk about the Paps Blue Ribbon Brewing Company. We will also discuss briefly, as there are not many accounts to reference, the ghosts that still allegedly haunt the old Paps executive office. Wait, all... you mean there's spirits? Oh, there's spirits. And spirits? Spirits and spirits! <laughs> and also, the lady that allegedly haunts the old Paps saloon and boarding house. Oh, I almost forgot. Captain Frederick Paps himself is said to haunt various locations. Hold on to your beer and get ready for a ride. Our story begins at... <coughs> Sorry. Our story begins in 1842 when the Best Brothers came to America as emigrants from Germany. They ended up settling in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Of course it would be Wisconsin. Yeah, which I'm sure you have all heard of now with the Netflix show about Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, God. The... Jeff and the PBR. <laughs> uh, get a couple of PBRs for my boys here. No, uh, please don't. <laughs> the brothers began their ventures by dealing in vinegar works, but saw the opportunity to make a business venture in another industry. Now, at this time in history, as you can imagine, there wasn't much to do in entertaining the mind. You worked, read a book, talked to the neighbor, visited a brothel. A brothel, really? A brothel. I mean, come on, what else you got? Or you just sat looking at a wall wishing there were such things as magic picture boxes and metal flying birds or foods cooked ready within two minutes of desiring it. On the other hand, beer is readily available. It makes life just a tad more interesting. In 1844, Jacob Best Sr. decided to start the Best and Company Brewer, along with his four sons, Jacob Jr., Charles, Philip, and Lorenz. Being a good father, he made them his business partners. As you can imagine, the state of mechanics and equipment were nowhere on par with how things operate today. They were successful, but the annual yield was about 300 barrels. Now, that may sound small, but think of this. Each barrel was the same as 31 gallons. That is 9,300 gallons of beer. Damn. 
I mean, honestly, that sounds like a lot of beer to me. That's a lot of beer. I mean... And you said it sounded small. Well, six years after the start of the Best and Company, Charles and Lorenz Best decided to spread their wings and fly, leaving the family business and opening their own brewery, the Plank Road Brewery. The Plank Road Brewery was eventually bought out by Frederick Miller. Wait, is this like Miller as in like Miller Lite? Oh, sounds intriguing. Anyways... Jacob Best Sr. retired in 1853, and with Philip being the sole proprietor, decided to change the name of the company, renaming it the Philip Best Brewing Company. Why so many name changes? Oh my god. It's the 1800s. Everybody's trying to get their peace. Anyways, now, Philip had a daughter named Maria, who eventually fell in love and got married in 1862. That man... Captain Frederick Pabst. Finally. Two years later, in 1864, Pabst bought half of the shares in the brewing company for $21,057.05. Now, I remind you, this is the 1800s. With today's dollar inflation value, that would come out to $496,104.98. Gotta get that 98 cents in there, huh? 98 cents. I mean, that's a big difference. I mean, you take a go ahead and round that up. Anyways, let's move on. <laughs> Upon purchasing the shares, Freddie Paps became the new vice president of the Philip Best Brewing Company. In 1866, Philip's youngest daughter's husband bought the remaining shares in the company. By this time, the company was now making 14,139 barrels a year. Now, that's 438,309 gallons a year as you can see business was booming and the drinks were flowing in the year of 1869 philip best finished his last sign of beer for the last time and he passed away like he was literally drinking it and then died like no not literally oh, that year he had his last beer let's just say he had a beer that year that was it i mean that, that... so he just stopped drinking and then Yes, that's died. exactly it. He stopped drinking beer and he passed away. He was like, oh shit, my life force is gone. Eh. The electro life is gone. That's shitty. No. <laughs> okay, let's just move on here. Um, in 1873, now this is known as a milestone year for the company. They were finally legally incorporated. We're making 100,593 barrels per year. Okay, now notice I said barrels. Now that is 3,118,383 gallons of beer. That's a lot of happy folks. That is a lot of happy folks. Now, Paps and Emil, which is the husband of Maria, were smart businessmen and also understood the need for mechanical innovations, adding artificial ice machines in 1880 and incandescent lighting in 1882. The Best Brewing Company was also the first to open their doors for tours to the public. Not really sure if they gave free samples in, and if they did, probably no one there would remember the tour. Well, in 1888, the business partner Emil died while on vacation in Germany. In 1889, Freddie Boy Paps changed the name to the Paps Brewing Company. He saw Emil pass away and was like, oh, here's my opportunity. Yeah. Well, it's time to take over PBR. the business. Now, 
I know us northern folk, at least, have heard the rumors of how supposedly the Pabst beer was so damn good that it won multiple awards while at a state fair, including a half a dozen blue ribbons, and the legend of the Pabst blue ribbon beer was born. I believed this for many years, as I am sure that those who have also heard this believed it to be true. Unfortunately, this is not entirely true. Also, unfortunately, this gets a little weird and my wife is going to absolutely fucking hate this part. Let's continue, shall we? In 1893, the Columbian Expo, also known as the 1893 World Fair. Wait, hold on. 1893 World Fair? Yeah, maybe we'll get to that in another episode. Hold on. Wait, no, keep yeah. going, keep going. Uh, hold on, hold well, on. Well, anyways, the 1893 World Fair was held in my home state of Illinois. Yep, that's it. Mm-hmm. In the large metro city of Chicago. <gasps> Do you know what else happened? Uh, da, 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 da. Hold on, hold on. Do you know what else happened during that time? What else happened during H. that H. time? H.H. Holmes and his murder mansion. Oh my god, we'll get to that in another episode. Sorry, please proceed. Anyways, in the large metro city of Chicago, and became quite a significant historical event in America. Oh, yeah. Well, anyways, Mr. Pabst hired an architect from Milwaukee by the name of Otto Strack to construct a trade pavilion for the expo. Inside the pavilion was a 13-square elaborate model of the Pabst Brewery held up by fucking gnomes. Like, what in the drunken hell? Gnomes? Like like actual gnomes? Like lawn gnomes? Fucking gnomes, man. Just, Wow. No, that's not okay. That is not okay. (laughs) Anyway, the model was said to have been washed in gold and cost the Pap's daddy $100,000. Pap's daddy? Pap's daddy. Which in today's market comes to just shy of $3.3 million, making this the most expensive depiction of a gnome I have ever ever or will ever see in my life wait now, the gnome itself was 3.3 million not the entire what? thing just a gnome no not just the gnome <laughs> the whole construct okay <laughs> i mean fucking even david the gnome doesn't have that much notoriety i'm sorry for those of you that don't know like i absolutely despise gnomes so oh, that is, that's just not okay <laughs> that's not okay on a lot of levels anyways the entire structure was constructed of tan terracotta covered in lavish symbols of the brewing industry, including beer steins, hop spines, and the gods of barley and hops. It was also decorated with gold leaves on the exterior and a beautifully crafted artistic glass dome. I almost thought you were going to say gnome again. <laughs> glass, glass dome, glass dome, whatever, you know. Just kind of go, it's expensive as fuck either way. But in November of 1893, the Pabst Company was presented with their certificate of brewing excellence at the exposition, as opposed to the blue ribbon that is widely believed. Now, the blue ribbon was actually 
silk blue ribbons placed on the bottlenecks to give it a more regal and high-class aesthetic that is stuck to this day, now printed on every bottle and can. Now, after the expo, my main man, Fred P., had the entire display deconstructed, crated, shipped, and reconstructed inside his Milwaukee residence, rebuilt as a private conservatory. Wait, you mean he moved the, mo- the gnomes to his house? Oh, yeah, he got the gnomes... <sighs> And the and the replica completely reconstructed in his own home. Fred P, Daddy P, whatever else you've called him. Yeah. <laughs> no, sir, that is not okay. <laughs> now, Mr. Pappas was not content being at the top with his broom company. He wanted to be recognized anywhere he went, and he decided to utilize national advertising, becoming one of the very first executives to understand and utilize advertisements on a national level, which ended up having his brand spread coast-to-coast, border-to-border. I mean, that's... Yeah. Well, anyways, over 125 years, thousands of Paps Taverns, or rather Tide Houses, as they were called, were created and leased all over the country, selling his brand of beer across the nation exclusively. Okay, so Sean and I actually just learned about Tide Houses mm-hmm. um, watching one of the newer paranormal shows. And so a Tide House is basically tied to one brewing company. Yeah. A freed house or a free house um, isn't tied to any specific brewery. They can sell whatever alcohol or you know right. beverages that they want. Right. So, yeah, exactly as you said. You know, a free house, they can sell whatever kind of beverage they want. But a tight house, they have to sell just that specific brand's brew, if you will. I mean, I didn't know what it was, so I just, I didn't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, by the 1900s, the Pabst Blue Ribbon was known in every major American city. Pabst knew the necessity and the value of real estate to expand his empire. Sorry. Starting to get tongue-tied here. Well, anyways, Mr. Fred Six-Pack Paps passed away at noon on New Year's Day, 1904. <laughs> I'm His- sorry. Your, na- your name's for for Mr. Paps. <laughs> I mean, you can only say names so many times without having to change it up. But anyways. No, you're fine. <laughs> can, we, can we show him a little respect here? I'm sorry. I mean... His funeral was supposed to be a private affair at his home, but the cow, but the cows, I don't know what the cows are, but the, the cows, crowds, the cows came yes. home. Anyways, so much for respect, right? But the crowds that gathered in mourning made that an impossibility. I mean, it was not a private affair. Everybody and anybody was there. Maybe they were hoping that the PBR was flowing. You know what? Probably. So, in that respect, let us toast in his memory and pour one for our OG homie, Mr. Captain Paps. Well, here is something that most people today do not know. What would you say if I told you that there was a period of time that Paps was making cheese? Like, legit. Well, I mean, they're from Wisconsin. Everybody makes cheese in Wisconsin. I mean, it's kind of rare, but But it's a true story. How how do you go from making beer to cheese? I mean, was it at least beer cheese? Well, let me tell you back in my days. Oh, dear Lord. (laughs) Okay. 
a little bit before my days. Well, back in the year 1920, America enacted the Prohibition, which for those who don't know, meant that alcohol was illegal. So, most breweries thought this was going to be a short-lived thing and kind of decided that it was best to just sit and wait. So they halted production for what they thought would be a short bit of time, maybe up to about two years tops. Now at this time, there were close to about 1,300 breweries across the U.S. that were currently active. Unfortunately, only a few dozen recognized this was not going to be a short-term ban and looked to other options to stay in business. While the government still allowed the production of beer with less than 5% alcohol, this was obviously only a placebo for the real thing because, I mean, come on, 0.5%? Dude, I would probably run to the bathroom for fucking half the debate, half the day before I even got drunk. I mean, that's like, I mean, that was their whole point, but fuck. What's the point of drinking that at that point? Just have a glass of milk and call it a day. Ooh, that was a fun night. I mean, your body would probably metabolize it like a hell of a lot faster than, you know, you'd be able to get drunk. You would probably die of (laughs) drinking too many liquids before you would even get drunk. What was even the point? It's like, hey, yeah, let's have a party, guys. In two days, we'll be drunk. (laughs) Anyways, so, yeah. 0.5% alcohol was legal at that time. Nothing more than that. So breweries began to change their tactics for other products just to survive this. Now, Anheuser-Busch experimented with carbonated coffee. It's fucking true. That sounds gross. And even tea, which they called bush tea. That sounds like something that comes (laughs) out of Australia. That sounds fucking awful. Well, they also dabbled in other various grocery items such as baby formula and frozen eggs. By the way, I mean no disrespect to Australia about their bush tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, other companies such as Pittsburgh Brewery, Stroh's, Yangling, and a few others decided to get into the ice cream business, utilizing their equipment and freezers that were readily available, which I find kind of ironic because we just recently saw that Yangling was re-releasing ice cream. I mean, it's like, throwback. Yeah, I mean, like, (laughs) I wonder if they saw this coming, like the whole alcoholic ice cream business or whatever. I mean, like, why are they not capitalizing on that right now? That's what I want. Know. As they have said for centuries, history repeats itself. So, I mean, yeah. If you well, say so. Well, Coors decided to use the clay deposits near their facility to make ceramics during this time. Okay. I mean, okay. It's like, yo, have you tried Coors beer? Have you tried Coors ceramics? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, before Prohibition, Pabst had already had their feet in the dairy business as they had bought farmland to raise horses to transport their barrels for delivery. Wait, but, didn't like didn't Anheuser-Busch, don't they have? Yeah, they I have mean, they have the horses too, right? Yeah, for Budweiser, I mean, it's on every Super Bowl commercial, but I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, Pabst had their own. I mean, they I'm surprised there wasn't, like, a lawsuit there. Yeah, if I don't remember correctly, it was, like, some kind of weird Irish bread that they had for their horses to deliver their alcohol. But anyways, so they had these horses on their farms to deliver the barrels, but as automobiles were now on the rise and making transportation more convenient, they shifted the use of their farms to raise dairy cows. So just before 1920, the Pabst Company saw the opportunity to use 
utilize their cows in ice cellars to produce cheese and other dairy products. Okay. So the cheese products, as I'm not sure if it would be considered real cheese, what's called Pabstest. Oh, yeah. Let's put that <laughs> fancy twist on Pabst. Pabstest. This is not Pabst. This is Pabstest. <laughs> that does not sound delicious. I'm sorry. <laughs> So this was sold as either a brick or as a spread. It had options of cheddar, Swiss, and even pimento. So they promoted this product as quote-unquote digestible and praised its supposed purity. They even released a cookbook utilizing the Pepsis cheese product named Recipes the Modern Pepsis Way. Showing how easy it was to use the cheese product for modern meals and making. I wonder <laughs> like, if this is- Hold on. I wonder if this is where the like the cheese fudge came from. Like, oh my god! Like, this is not a proper recipe. You must use the Pepsist. <laughs> what year are we in now? What are we near? Like the Great shit. Depression? No, this 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 is not that far along. I mean, okay. Holy fuck! Oh my god! Whether the cookbook actually helped in their overall sales. That's another question. Now, this is something that I found quite interesting. Did you know that at this time, Kraft Cheese Company actually sued Paps for the Paps cheese product? Now, Kraft began making Velveeta in 1923, and Paps began production sometime after. So they immediately smelled money and went for blood. So Kraft took notice of their sales and filed a lawsuit against Paps, claiming that their product was a copycat. Well, Kraft won this lawsuit. That's so dumb. Now, I must also mention that there are rumors that Kraft also allowed Paps S to continue to manufacture their product, but when Kraft was actually questioned about it, they have no recollection or record of this actually being true. Of course not. Mm-hmm. Well, as soon as Prohibition ended in December of 1933, Paps quickly shifted its focus back to brewing the golden nectar of the gods, remaining one of the top sellers to this date. I'm not gonna lie. When I was younger, back in my day, I say younger. Um, yeah, PBR was like my beer of choice, mind you. I'm not a big beer person, but that's the one that I would go for. Yeah. Being an adult, <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm more of a wine person now. Thanks. No, I mean like growing up as a kid, it was all about you know. Budweiser, which I quickly discovered, is not my personal preference. And quickly move over to Miller, Miller Lite. I mean, that's still my true love. I love Miller, but PBR has always been like a staple, especially where I'm from in Wisconsin. PBR is a staple beer. No, it is not the greatest by any means. I mean, it is kind of a rough beer to take down, but once you get about six, seven in... Yeah, it goes down like gold. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a historic beer. I mean, it has its footprint in American history. It really does. My question is, does it pair with cheese? Surprisingly, yes, it does. Dude, let me tell you about this time that we went ahead and ordered PBR. We were drinking it all night. 
and we ordered a pizza. There's this local pizza place where I grew up from, and we ordered a pizza with Italian beef on it with au jus. And oh my god, that triple pairing was phenomenal. So back to your PBR story. Anyways, now the history of the PBR is revealed. I mean, I'm hoping that you have learned something about one of the America's most famous beer brands. So as I promise, we will look, if even briefly, into the supernatural side of Pabst. Oh, spirits and more spirits. Spirits and more spirits. Spirits and spirits. Hey, demons, it's your boy. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, supposedly in the original Pabst executive office, there's a spirit that roams the halls. That's it. (laughs) Wait, that's it? That's... Yeah, spirit that roams the halls. Oh, seriously, that's I, I I really don't have any more than that on this one. I mean, it's just the spirit that roams halls of the executive office. Anyways, I told you this isn't your typical episode. Also, <laughs> I'm a little bit drunk. This isn't the history or discovery channel after all. Well. <laughs> Moving on, um, it is said that Captain Paps himself hunts various locations of the Paps Brewing Company. Com- com- company? Company! Paps Brewing Company! <laughs> well, supposedly he haunts the Paps Mansion, the Paps Theater, the original Paps Brewery Complex. People reporting see his silhouette or visage roaming the Halls as he would have back when he was operating the company. There are not many details as far as eyewitness accounts, but more or less rumors. Now, perhaps they tossed one or too many beers back and couldn't see straight, or they were very well could be a spirit roaming in the halls of these buildings, looking to make sure the company survives for another hundred years. We'll never really know. You're going to be haunted by Mr. Paps tonight. I'm haunted by Paps right now. Well, there is also mention of a ghost or spirit seen at one of the tide houses. This apparition is often referred to as Lady of the Pub. Now, this tide house was obviously used to sell Pabst beer exclusively during its day, but as prohibition began, it shifted to being a soda shop, although some say that it was only a cover for a speakeasy. Hmm. Which, speakeasies back in the day were more or less quote-unquote cover bars, if you will. They didn't ex- say they were, like, actually selling alcohol and liquor and yeah, shit like that. Also- but they were, yeah, you know, under the table if you knew somebody who knew. You knew the secret handshake, the secret yeah. knock. But, you know, they were also making bathtub gin that was, like, killing people. Exactly. So. <laughs> bathtub gin. Let's go, bro. <laughs> Now, it is said that an inspector came in one day inspecting the premises and found a rather suspicious device. Now, he drove an ice pick into this said device and went sprayed in the face with moonshine. It was a still. Yeah. That's that's my first assumption. It was totally a still. That would probably be my guess, too. Well... You northerners don't know much about that. No, we don't talk about that now. Um, the proprietor of the soda shop was immediately arrested. <clears throat> Sorry. It is also said that about 10 rooms on the upper floor were used as a brothel to bring in extra income. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Hey, baby, baby. Well, anyways, 
Man, let me tell you, this place had to be sticky. Especially with it being a brothel. Anyways, That's uh, gross. The establishment saw ownership change several times over the years, including, surprisingly, an openly gay bar called the M&M Club in 1976, where it was a hot spot for the LBGTQ. Now, it was the community for them until about 2006 when it finally shut its doors. Now, it was around 2006 when the reports started to come in. The establishment is now an Irish pub, and workers have reported seeing a shadow of a woman roaming the bar. They report the visage of this woman is wearing clothes that resemble the sows of the late 18th, early 19th century. There are also reports of the woman showing up in the mirror behind patrons of the men's restroom. Staff also report feelings of extreme dread and strange occurrences happening in the basement of the establishment. I mean, who really knows what happened down there, especially during the prohibition? Bathtub gin. Murder. Murder. It's been over 115 years since the establishment was open, so who knows who this spirit could actually be. Could it be a local patron who enjoys the familiar atmosphere and the drinks? Could it be one of the workers of the brothel trying to maintain her income and trying to seduce the patrons of the establishment? Perhaps it could be Maria, the daughter of Captain Paps. No one knows for sure, but if you ever visit the establishment, you may be one of the lucky or unlucky ones who encountered the lady of the public. Well, that's it. We made it, guys. I want to thank each and every one of you for showing up for this off-the-wall episode. I want to thank you all for listening and joining us on the podcast. Also, thank you for visiting my first ever subcast, Beer, Beasts, and Battleships. Who knows? Maybe one day it may return. We'll see. As always, we welcome you to join us over on Facebook and Instagram as we post pictures for each episode there and we get a chance to interact with all during the week. You can find us by searching facebook.com forward slash Lord Legends Laundry and instagram.com forward slash Lord Legends Laundry. If you ever have any suggestions for us or just want to say hi, send us a message at Lord Legends Laundry at gmail.com. To ensure you don't miss an episode, including special ones like this one, be sure to subscribe on the podcast host of your choice. If you like us, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave us a written review or simply give us a like or a thumbs up. We love hearing from you guys. Until next time, bye, bye guys. guys. And don't forget to beer the laundry. What? <laughs> um, switch the beer? No. Ah, fuck it. Later!